Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the House. We're so happy you're here today. If you'd like to stand as we sing, let it rise, feel free.
Jesus, you are my King. Jesus, you are my King. Jesus, you
Good morning. It is so, I mean, what, it is so fun to see uh, the world kind of waking up from this year-long kind of bad dream that we've been in. Uh, so fun to see many of your faces for the second week in a row. And, and um, just uh, for me, the thing that brought the biggest smile to my face was seeing all the kids begin to stream in across the street, knowing that they are going to be worshiping Jesus over there. And with this slow return back to normalcy, there's some things that we haven't been able to do for a year that we get to do. First off, next week we have a men's breakfast. We haven't been able to do that in over like 16 months. And now finally we get to have another men's breakfast on Saturday across the street. So if you have a Y chromosome, if you like to eat, and you can tolerate being around other people, welcome. Please come and join us next Saturday. Then there's a couple of things coming up on Mother's Day. First off, there's some children that were born or have kind of come to a point where you are ready to, be, to, to dedicate them to the Lord and more importantly to dedicate yourself to the Lord and raising them in the Lord. And so if that's you, if you have a child that you have yet to dedicate and you want to do that with our church community, then let us know because we're going to do that on Mother's Day. And then another thing that we have not done in over a year, and this is crazy to me, is we haven't been able to baptize or we have, we have not baptized anybody this year. And I know there are some of you that are ready to make that public declaration. And if that's you, if you have come to a point where you're just like, I'm ready to publicly declare something I've already decided internally. We want to give you the opportunity to do that here as a church community. We have a baptismal that we hide back there. We are not going to hide it. And so if that's you, I want you to let us know. In the front of the seats in front of you, there's a connection card. Grab that. Let us know you're interested in being baptized. We will have a baptism class um, on May 3rd. So that's coming up in just a couple of weeks. And then finally, one of the things that we tried to do last year, but it wasn't quite the same, is serve day. We recognize that we are not put on this earth simply to be served. We are here to serve, to follow Jesus' example. And one of the ways we do that is by loving our city, loving our neighbors, getting out beyond the box. As much as it's fun to gather in the box, we were never intended to stay here. And so coming up on May 15th, which is just about a month away, we are going to do serve day. In our city, we're going to love on our neighbors. Now, there are some of you who are sitting here this morning who have neighbors that have very tangible needs. We want to know that so that we can address that. So if there's somebody that you know in your life that you go, there's a project that I've been putting off, but I've been wanting to do this for a neighbor. Maybe it's trimming some of their hedges. Maybe it's building back their front porch because it's been termite eaten or whatever it is. We want to know so that we can join you in that. Or perhaps you're just simply saying, hey, I'm available. I, I don't, I, you know, I'm, I'm more dangerous swinging a hammer than anything, but I'm willing to try. That's me, right? I got the spiritual gift of deconstruction. Some of you have the spiritual gift of reconstruction. I'm grateful for you. But Mike Jones and I, just, just tell us what to tear down. We will take care of that. If that's you, you want to join us in serving, all you need to do is go to lovecostamesa.org, um, and you can sign up to help serve 
or you can sign up with a project to let us know how we can join you in loving on one of your neighbors. Okay, so those are four things coming up. We're really excited about it. Hefe is teaching today, so he's going to come up here. Let me briefly pray for us before he gets up here, and then we're going to dive in. Father God, it is so good to gather together as family. It is so good to get to look forward to a men's breakfast and to baptisms and to child dedications and to getting to serve together. God, it's so good to see Don and, and Jill Shannon here. It, you know, they, they decided to grace us with their presence from Costa Rica, and we are thankful that they made it here today. We pray that you would have your hands upon Jeff as he teaches us, as he opens your word. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be freed to guide us in this. Whatever it is that you want to place in our hearts today, we invite you to open our ears and open our hearts to be receptive to it. We pray these things, Jesus, in your holy name. Amen. Thank you, my brother. Love you too, man. I am always grateful to wheel this piece of wood that someone created for me, old school Pastor Lee, to uh, teach from. It's called the pulpit. And uh, in the old days of yore, they used to stand above everyone, speaking to the sub-pit of people. And then I'm told that in days of yore, um, they would have a prayer group that would gather below them or for them. And I just want to let you know that this morning, uh, not only do we still have our online community that's praying every Sunday, so if you like to pray and still believe that prayer actually does something, which we are a church that fervently believes in prayer, I would like to encourage you, we have an online prayer group that's been meeting the entire time. Every Sunday service for this entire year has been bathed in prayer. And the Kunkels are the ones that lead that. Paul and Ken, can you stand up really quick so they can see you guys are? If you guys would like to join the online Sunday morning at 9 prayer team, that's who's leading it right there. You can fill out a connection card and say, hey, uh, I'm not really good at mornings, but I'd like to pray. And you can join this online community that's praying. If not, we reinstituted the upper room prayer this morning. And at 9 o'clock, we gathered up there for the first time in over a year. And Catherine, one of our new neighbors who just showed up at church, she got to walk straight in there with the pastors and with Tom. What a great first day at church when you come out. You talk about having an audience to listen to. There she was upstairs with us praying. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but I just, I like prayer. I, I think there's stuff that can be done in prayer. The Bible says it cannot be accomplished any other way. And uh, I think that's part of the reason why God continues to bless. Um, I have water in my pocket and probably will need it. Um, I also got a light today, so I hope that doesn't bother any of you, but uh, officially at 56 years old, it's, it's happening, and, and the time is probably on the wall where Pastor Jeff will be incorporating some form of reading um, help assistance, but I don't want to give in to that just yet. Hey, Easter was amazing, guys. I just want to thank you guys. Thank you, church, for working with us. I mean, we barely get back to opening up the church, and then we split the service to 9 and 11, and to all of you who showed up at 10 o'clock, and I know some of us... Some of you showed up at 10 o'clock and left. On behalf of the staff and everyone else, I apologize. It was the best that we can do. We'll probably go 8.30 and 10 next year because we realize, you guys, it's been 10, 10, 10 forever. But you guys did such a wonderful job of kind of, you know, offloading so we could have like about 100 people in the first service and about 115 in the second service and over 20 children. So for this church in the state that we are to have over 225 adults worshiping safely and 20 kids being blessed and led to the Lord, I don't know if you guys realize it, Sherry is our new children's ministry director. She had this fabulous teaching where she set up an actual little tomb in there and she taught the kids. We're not trying to keep your kids busy. 
We're trying to actually teach your kids as we are trying to teach you guys. So just thank you all for making it just a wonderful Sunday. I got a chance to meet some of the dads trying to entertain their kids out in the lobby and take them across the street. And it's just a blessing to see people pouring back out. And with that, let me just tell you, Sherry's going to be recruiting uh, for children's ministry on Sunday and assistance with that stuff. So if you guys are looking for an opportunity to serve, you can always jump in with the usher and greeter team with its Charlie. Charlie, where are you? So they can see you if they would like to get involved with ushers and greeters. So we lost you today. You're upstairs, downstairs. He's outside patrolling the building. Yeah, you guys can mark your card, connection card for ushers, greeters, or you can mark your card. Hey, I want to help in the children's ministry. How do I do it? Put that on your connection card, and I will follow up with you. Huh? Tech team? Oh, Mark, you want people too? Of course you want team. What is this? Does everybody chime in? Hey, Charlie comes rolling back in. There's Charlie right there at the back. If you guys want to do ushers and greeters, that's Charlie. And if you want to do tech, that's Mark up there at the top of the booth. So you can run sound, you can run TVs, you can run audio, you can run AV. So whatever your gifting is, this is a... No, don't do it, Shelly. Oh, gosh. And now here goes Shelly for the worship team. On behalf of the worship team, Shelly would like to say, if you want to sing, play guitar, the fiddle, play the spoons, whatever you got working... Talk to Shelly. We'll figure out how to get that involved. Whitemans, you guys have missed out on all this stuff, man. This is good stuff. Congratulations. It's good to see your faces. I know you guys, thank you for putting up with my phone calls and my emails, too. I'm not trying to be the principal and telling you you're in trouble. Uh, it's actually out of love that I miss you guys that I send that. Let me pray, and we'll get started. We're going to be in John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15, and we're going to be covering the third miracle that John records. John chapter 5, 1 through 15. Father God, I thank you for what is uh, just another wonderful opportunity. Every Sunday represents a wonderful opportunity just to see how good you are and how faithful you've been. I mean, last week, uh, as Pastor Eric was blessing us with this concept of the resurrected hope of Jesus, I, I just pervasive, that thought's just running through my head all week long about what a privilege it is to share from your word and to show from your word that you were never about the temperamental healing of anything. It's never been about... Uh, trying to make this life more comfortable or less comfortable. This life is going to be full of pain. In this life, you will have trials and issues and temptations. But take heed, I've overcome this. It's the eternal hope. It's the resurrected hope of Jesus Christ that we have. And this morning, I'm excited once again to share that. I'm so grateful that John, your beloved, took the time to write these things down. I pray that your word would be simple, that it would be clear, and that it would speak to us in such a way that we'd understand what it's saying and how I can apply it to my life. May everything we continue to say and do in this building Bring honor and glory to and through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So one thing that's kind of cool about John is John was very specific about what he wrote. And one of the things that I like about it is even though there was a lot of miracles that took place, John specifically wrote down seven of them. Seven for, is also the number of Jesus, number of Christ. It's a wonderful number. But what we can learn in each one of those nuances, is each sign, he uses the word sign and miracle interchanging, each sign or each miracle is showing us something. And what's kind of cool for that is that um, I actually had the first sign back in January with you guys. The last time we talked about his first sign was turning water into wine, right? You guys remember that? And so what those signs are doing for John is he's using them just like we do when we're driving somewhere. He's using a sign to point to the destination, okay? He's using the sign to point to the destination. Now, that's very different than seeing the sign as the destination. Let me clarify we are a Disneyland family, and we are planning to go to Disneyland at the end of the month for a multitude of birthdays. <laughs> if I haven't been to Disneyland in over a year, and I'm driving up Harbor Boulevard, 
and at the one-mile sign where it says Disneyland straight ahead, pull my car over, throw on my Disney ears, start taking selfies, and dance around that sign and and invite my family to join me in an amazing time at Disneyland, two things will happen. One, the police will be called, obviously, because I'm having a breakdown. And two, my family will make it perfectly clear, that is not Disneyland, right? And this is a really important concept when you think about it, because today in the world we live in, a lot of people like the hocus pocus, a lot of people like the magnificent and the wonderful. But even today, be cautious. John makes it perfectly clear. A sign is very specific. It's to point us to the risen Lord. And in pointing us to the risen Lord, it also does one thing. It talks directly about salvation. So when the sign says yield or slow down, a lot of us have that rebellious spirit. We want to do what? The opposite, right? We want to speed up and we want to test it. The curve says 35. You're thinking, let's see what 65 feels like. You know, it's like we have a rebellious nature against signs. But John is using it very specifically. Follow the signs to the destination. The destination is the inroad. And the inroad is salvation. It's always going to be about salvation, if you guys know me. It starts with and it ends with salvation. You have a limited time offer to offer the good news of Jesus Christ to the lost. And that's what's so cool, because in that first miracle, when he goes to turn the water into wine, he's kind of doing that for a very specific group. I like to call it the private miracle, right? Even though there's a party and a lot of different things are happening at the party, Jesus is doing that for who? His mom, who's involved with the wedding. He's, she's involved with the actual party itself. And she comes to him and says, I need your help. He does that for, for her, but also the disciples, the new disciples that are with him are seeing this event as well. Now, the rest of the party doesn't know. They only know that it's the best wine they've ever had. But Jesus uses that first miracle to strengthen and build relationships. So that's one attribute about a sign is it will strengthen or build a relationship with Christ. And he does that specifically. Then in the second sign that he does, Pastor, Where, uh, Pastor Eric covered this a couple weeks ago, was with the nobleman's son. Right? The nobleman had all the resources that an individual could have. And yet, regardless of all the resources, he had a situation. His son was dying. And if you have all the resources in the world, one thing that you will learn is you will quickly level all your assets if it comes to one child in your family, if you have the opportunity to provide healing for them. It's innate in us. It's born. It's in our DNA. We are wired to care to such a level bankruptcy, whatever, it doesn't matter. For the, for the hope that is that one child, this individual realizes, I have no hope, even with all the resources, what can I do? And, and he hears the name of Jesus. And he goes to him at afar, and when he meets him, he has this conversation. I'm the kind of person that when I say something needs to be done, it's done. And I believe that you are that person. And I believe that if you say it is so, it will be so. And Jesus speaks it and says, your son is well. And this individual gets on his horse and rides like the wind, and he gets all the way back there, and he comes to find out what? His son is well, and then he asks him this very specific question, what time did this occur, right? Because he knows that when he asked Jesus to say those words, he made note of the time. And so that second miracle for me is very interesting because not only is it very personal, it's a personal miracle, a personal sign to this individual, but to this individual who had such faith, it was unto salvation. He believed. And then the, the end of the story is, right, you always want to end the story, is his family, his entire oikos comes into faith. So a sign, a miracle, is always to some type of end. And in this, John is always saying, these seven signs I recorded are always going to be specific. Find out what that meaning is, but know that it always ends in this. It ends in John 20, 
3031. Now, I read this back in January, but this is the reason why all the signs are recorded. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of the disciple, which are not mentioned in this book. So John is saying he did a lot more than seven, guys. It was never just about the seven. He did a lot more. But, but these are written. What? These seven. He wrote these seven that you first may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and secondly, that by believing him, you may have life in him. So a sign, a miracle, is always going to be working to this avail. If it's not, if you find someone today in the world we live in who, who makes a big deal of signs or wonders or healings, and they use that to puff themselves up or to point at them as being kind of the way, the truth, and the light, then I would tell you that's a new sign for you, and that's a red warning sign. Because John says, all signs, all signs, God is using all things, Romans 8, all things are working to what? To the avail that you might come to faith in Jesus, and by having that faith in Jesus, be a child of his. So let's turn to this passage. I'm going to read the whole passage, and then we're going to go back and tear it apart, a couple verses by a couple verses. I am reading NIV, and um, we have NIV Bibles in the chairs. If you don't have one, you can read one. If you need a Bible, we also have a bunch of Bibles in the back that have never been touched uh, please see us afterwards, too. If you'd like a Bible, we'd love to give you one. All right, starting in verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. So Jesus has left his last situation with the nobleman. He's heading to Jerusalem. It's festival time. There's a, a giant event is going on. Two, in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five colored colonnades. And here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. Verse 5. And one who was there had been an invalid. An invalid is someone who's been made weak from sickness for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool. And when the water is stirred, while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And Jesus said to him, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place is the Sabbath. And the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, It's the Sabbath, and the law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick up, pick up your mat and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Verse 14, and later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders it had been Jesus who had made him well. Now a couple of things here. We're going to put up a couple of slides. You guys know how I am about archaeology and the Bible. Um, Bethsaida is a real place. It's a really cool place. And you, if you have the time and ability to travel and go, I think Pastor Eric's planning another Jerusalem thing in the next year or so. You may want to check in. You can go there. It means house of mercy. Beth, house of Seda, mercy. Um, you hear Bethel in the Bible. Beth, El, house of God. So it's a really, it's a well-known place. And if you, Mark, can you slide one hit me? So in the description of it, it's a pool. It's a sunken pool, and it has five colonnades. So I put this first picture in there because in the very back of the picture, you see the stairs coming down? 
all these other terraces and everything that are above the pool are where everyone would have been laying. There would have been a multitude of people there. But in the very back where that one tree looks, that's those stairs coming down, the individual, the conversation that Jesus is having with the individual is happening on those stairs because he has to get down those stairs to what would have been a giant pool at the bottom of the thing. You want to go to the next picture, back it up, it's a little easier to see. So what you can see there is the remnants of two of the colonnades. There was five colonnades, right? And in that, in that situation, it was also a, what they call a mikvah. So uh, the Jewish people use a mikvah for bathing. So there would have been people there for a myriad and a multitude of reasons, and it would have been well-established, and you can go there today. This is actually from a tour. I took this a picture from a video of a tour that's actually going through it because I like the picture so you could see perfectly down the row. You could see where the whole transaction happens. And then finally, this last picture, location. So believe it or not, the two giant squares in the middle of the picture, those two giant squares cover the hole that is now the Pool of Bethsaida. And if you look just in front of those two giant things, you see the columnades on the ground? You see those five porticos on the ground? That's what's actually now, we're in the ground level. Today, in the situation we are, this is no longer like that. But the way that it was back then, it would have had these two large square boxes covering it, the five colonnades in front, and then look to the very back. You see the gate behind it? Sheep's gate. And the sheep gate leads directly north to the, see the big building on the left? That's the actual temple, the actual temple. So everything that's taking place is taking place in a very specific place that you can go to and walk through and I don't know why I'm so enamored with archaeology. I just love to make the Bible real. And for me, when I see that kind of stuff, and I picture that kind of stuff, and I picture everyone laying around, it reminds me of something. Why would Jesus, when he shows up into town on a Jewish festival, where he means the temple's going to be cranked, there's going to be people everywhere, why doesn't he just go to the temple? Right? Isn't his goal to kind of impress upon the Jewish leaders who he is? And I started thinking about it, like, we have the Crystal Cathedral, we have the Harvest uh, Festival, we have all these different amazing events going on in our town. And can you imagine if Jesus showed up, especially like two years ago, because there was an event about two years ago that took place in our town that was pretty shocking. It took place in the Santa Ana River Trail. You guys remember that? The Santa Ana River Trail went from one person to two people to three people to hundreds and hundreds of homeless people right to the left of Anaheim Stadium taking over an entire section of the Santa Ana River Trail. And I couldn't help but think about this. You know, they wanted to go to the pool because it was this, you know, where the sick people went and no one wanted anything to do with it. But Jesus, if he would show up on something like that, where would Jesus go? And I thought to myself, you know what? He would have gone straight to the Santa Ana River Trail. It's just as shocking for me as I realize this because he's going to a place where people are quantifiably sick. But isn't that the nature of our Lord, to go to the sick? The problem was these people who were sick had all their hope placed in one thing, the legendary stirring of the water. Now, some of you may have had a Bible that had a verse 4 in it, and in verse 4 it talks about this angel coming down and stirring the water. That's actually legend. The, for 400 years after the scripture was written, that was not part of the original Greek text. But because verse 7 talks about when the water stirred, it was understood by the people of the time what they were talking about. It was the legend of the stirring of the water. And what they believed is in the back of the pond, it was like an artesian well, as the pond percolated, the water would stir up out of the back of the pond, and it had like a reddish tint to it, and everyone laying around, because remember, a mikvah is like a, a holy pool, like a cleansing pool. There's people lying around for a multitude of reasons, but the sick people thought, if you could be the first one in that stirred up water, you would be made whole. But I want you to look and think about something. Where in the Bible does it talk about the first in wins principle? 
right? Like sometimes we read things and we're like, that makes sense. That makes no sense at all. Stir it up. I mean, invalids are there. Crippled people are there. How can they be the first into it? So it's about legend. And the cool thing is if you get to go to the site, there's two different other pagan sites on there, a Roman one and a Greek one. Because it had that power for generations to come that you could go to that area and be healed. But you see, Jesus is here to remove something from all of us. Legendary, mythological, and false gods. And he knew that, that all those people sitting around that thing with that singular hope were all lost. So who is he? He's the God who goes to the sick. Mark 2, Matthew 9, Luke 5. It's not the healthy who need a doctor. But the sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners, right? The very nature of God. John's recording things that help you understand. He is the way, the truth, and the life. This is his nature. This is what he would do. This makes perfect sense. If the Santa Ana River Trail is loaded with sick people that no one else wants to go and be around, guaranteed Jesus is there without any mask, touching, healing, loving, and providing. Why? Because he did the same thing all throughout the scriptures. Who would touch a leopard? Jesus. You know what would happen if you were a Jew and you touched a leopard? You couldn't go to that big, magnificent temple and thing for a period of time because you were now unclean. Jesus didn't come here to follow all the rules and regulations, right? He came here to fulfill all the rules and regulations. They're going to get caught up with this, this law thing. We're going to come up here in a verse and explain even more. The goal of Jesus is the resurrected hope. It's not the temporal hope. It's not the temporal hope of stirring water that makes you temporarily healed. He's trying to provide those individuals with the opportunity to see the resurrected hope that he's presenting to them. A truth, a life. Going back to the passage, it says there was a great number of sick lying around. And what does he do? He goes up to a, a one specific unnamed man. Doesn't that sound like the woman at the well, right? One specific unnamed woman. Because is it about the man? No. Was it about the woman? No. It's not about that. It's about Jesus and it's about his encounter to tell that man and have this encounter with this man so that this man can be used. Because remember, this is happening on the Sabbath. And that is going to turn out to be a large problem for Jesus and it's going to light a powder keg. He walks up to this man who's been laying around for 38 years and he asks the most absurd, ridiculous question I think you've ever heard Jesus ask. Do you want to get well? That's why I titled this message that. I just found that to be so shocking to me. Do you want to get well? This week was a cool week because I had the chance to go back to work at the police department. And um, as a chaplain for the police department, do some ride-alongs again. And so it's been over a year since I've been in a car with the guys and girls and see what's going on in my community. We have people here in our church that are very active in our community and work and struggle every day with a, a population of people out there that are to say the least, living a very difficult life. And what became perfectly obvious to me this weekend as I had a chance to do ride-alongs again is the same people that over a year ago took up most of our officers' time are still out there living exactly the same way. What an incredibly difficult job we have asked people to do when it comes to running shelters and mental institutions and health things because for some of these people, the thought of changing the way that they live is scarier than what their lifestyle represents to us. It's shocking when you see how some of these people live. The squalor and the conditions that these people live. And you can almost picture in the officer's mind as they're coming up, do you want to live this way? 
Because we have a beautiful shelter. It's been made for you millions of dollars, people that have dedicated their life to you. And all you have to do to get in the shelter is what? Want to get healed. You can't go to the shelter with your drugs. You can't even go to your shelter with all your stuff. You get to come in with a very small amount of stuff, and you have to be willing to want that. And Jesus says to this guy, do you really want that? What do you mean do I want that? Isn't it obvious? I've been coming here for 38 years. Yeah, I want that. Mm, I don't know if it's that obvious. Because Jesus says, look, there's a fault in your philosophy. The fault in your philosophy is you are hoping that a legend, an angel will come down here and stir the water. When I am no legend, I am the Messiah. And I stand in front of you. And I'm asking you, bro, do you want to get well? And you're like, but no one will get me in the water. What does the water have to do with anything, man? I am the Messiah. I am the person that can heal you, not right now, but for eternity. You go in that water and it stirs up, you're still sick tomorrow. The man doesn't get it. He says, the question for him is, do I want to get well? Yes, but is there anyone to get me into the pool? No. Because the reality was his hope was in the legend his hope was in the false god. His hope was in alcohol, tobacco, pornography, what it was. His hope was in the medication that he was living. Their hope is in that it's nice weather and people here are actually uh, kind and compassionate and they get to live a better life free of all rules and regulations on the street than they would in the confines of a shelter where someone tells them to go to bed. And I'm not kidding about that stuff. They know exactly what is entitled when they get to go there. And for some of them, it's not worth it. And for the ones who've been humbled by that occasion, for the ones who have been humbled, it's an amazing opportunity to see restorative work. And thank you all those people in our church that are involved with that ministry. I'm really grateful to our police department and our first responders who have to deal with that stuff over and over again. But I can tell you guys, you need to keep those people in prayer because it is heart-wrenching when such a large percentage of their calls and time and energy is going to people over and over and over again who abuse the system. Jesus is right there. Jesus is standing right there. So when he asked them, do you want to get well? And the response isn't, yes, what do I need to get well? That he can tell this individual has lost hope, he's lost faith, and he doesn't see him for that. And Jesus simply responds, verse 7, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Is there any mention in this conversation of healing, salvation, faith, any of the factors that you see in almost every biblical account of some type of salvation when it comes to the nobleman, right? Like he goes, what time did he get saved? His whole family comes to salvation. The woman at the well, I believe this man is a prophet. Let me go back and show you to my people. 3,000 people get saved. I mean, the whole point of the miracle was what? To point them to the way, the truth, and the life. This guy didn't see it. He didn't see it, and so no mention is even there. The man is still not believing. Because if he had believed, then he would have realized that the man standing in front of him, he would have asked his name. And in chapter 9, there's going to be another healing of a lame person. And as soon as the gentleman is healed by Jesus, he drops to his knees and does what? Praises the one who has healed and saved him. Instead, this man simply gets up, takes his stuff, and moves on down the road, still holding on to his legends. 
still holding on to his false gods. How many of us are still holding on to our false gods? How many of us today don't, do not realize that Jesus meets us in the adversity that is our life? Does that mean you've done something in order to, you know, have people done something wrong to be living in the street? No, it's not always like that. Sometimes it's, it's actual unfortunate situations. But often, often, Jesus will use the sin of a situation to allow that person to be in that situation so that what? They can realize the need for a savior. Because they can't save themselves from it. They can't rescue themselves from it. And then he stands in front of them and says, do you want to get well? Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be saved? And they don't know who he is. 38 years later, this man was still walking around, not sick anymore, right? He'd been healed, but he was still trapped in his sin. Verse 10 continues. All of a sudden, the Jewish leaders, interesting, the Jewish leaders are suddenly available, they're around, and they see a man, thousands of people, but they see a man carrying his mat on the Sabbath. That's interesting to me. That's really interesting to me. You know, during a festival, there's a lot of people. A lot of people doing a lot of different things. How do you see one man doing one thing? Because what are they looking for? Lawbreakers, right? This guy's been sick for 38 years, and they assume from that one picture that he was the one guy at the top of the landing in front of the water. If this guy's the same guy that's been there for 38 years, you guys have lived in this town long enough. We used to have an individual on Bay Street named Bobby. He was there for years. I mean, he, you become legendary in the town. In Laguna, I grew up in San Clemente, there was a gentleman who used to wave to everybody at the top of the hill, and, and it, it, people thought a lot of different things, but he stood there for so long that guess what? When he died, the city of Laguna made a bronze of that man, and it's still there today. If you drive down PCH, you will see the greeter standing there on the hill. Because if you do something long enough, it almost becomes ingrained into us, right? This guy's been there 38 years. They know it's the same lame guy. They don't notice he's walking, but they notice a small little yoga mat on his shoulder, and that becomes like overwhelming for them. Right? What should become overwhelming to them is like, Aren't you Bobby? Aren't you Bobby from Bay Street? Aren't you the guy who's been living on the street? I mean, by the way, Bobby, Bobby moved up to Wakeham and Bear by where we live. And I think Bobby literally stands and rocks and prays all day long. I have no idea why the Lord put Bobby on the earth. I've had many conversations with him. Most of them have been very enlightening. But Bobby literally will stand, and if you happen to be near him when he's doing this, it literally sounds like he's praying and just rocking the entire time. If Bobby walked into this church carrying a boom box or something weird the last thing i'm going to notice is any of that i would drop to my knees and start crying thank you god for healing this man who's been sick for so long nope it's your mat it's all about your mat and who told you to do this why are you doing this do you almost see him like this like it's sunday do you realize it's sunday jesus is like uh i not only realize it's sunday but it's my day i'm the lord of the sabbath right Turn a blind eye. Isn't that us? Turn a blind eye to what could bless you. Turn a blind eye to what is obvious about Jesus. And instead, notice a nuance, a Tobiah and Sanballat moment in your life. Notice a nuance that makes you frustrated and call them out. Remember the signs, the goal of all 613 laws was not to say you can fulfill them. You couldn't fulfill half of them in one day. You couldn't fulfill 10 of them in one day. You'd be lucky to fulfill five of them in one day. The goal of the law, the signs, was to point towards the Messiah, not be enamored by the sign. 
Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the signs. I'm fulfilling all the signs. They all point to me. Verse 11, the man's still obvious. He doesn't know Jesus' name. And he says, well, the man who made me well said, pick up your mat and walk. And they said, who is this fellow? How dare he? Verse 13, Jesus has slipped away like he always does, not wanting the crowd to gather around him and see that he's done something amazing. He, get, he moves away, but he's not done with the man yet. The encounter is not over. Now my pages are going to disorganize themselves. And then verse 14, what happens? Jesus finds him. Remember I showed you where the sheep gate was, just behind the pool? So if you were a Jew and you were healed, miraculously, or whatever it was, you had to report to the temple. You have to go report to the, to the, to the Jewish priests. And so it seems as though the man is following that protocol. So he exits the pool, heads towards the sheep gate, and moves straight into the temple. And who does he run into? But the Lord of the Sabbath. This is where the message, sometimes when I get a chance to, to do a message, this is where a message gets really harsh. Because I know that when it comes to saying the word hell in church, the world that we live in currently is kind of like, mm, Pastor, mm, could you say like dark place or something like that? It's like, hell, hell is one of those things for you guys. The way that the Lord is, if the Lord, everything that the Lord said is, then you can be mad or frustrated with me, but I just want you to realize that the motivation to share Christ with the lost is hell. You can't remove hell from the equation because that's our motivation. Heaven is real. Hell is real. It was not designed for human beings. Tell them the whole story, right? It was never designed for human beings. It was designed for fallen angels. We don't want anyone going there. And when Jesus meets this man, what he's about to say to him is absolutely shocking. Because when he sees the man, he gives him one final stern warning. He says to him, Jesus speaking, see, you are well again. He's not denying that the man was healed. He's affirming, you have been temporarily in this life healed from your 40-year affliction. But these next few words, guys, they're not what you want to hear after you've been healed by Jesus. Stop sinning. It's an active form of sinning. Stop sinning. You are in sin still. Or something worse may happen to you. Now, that phrase was so weird and unique to me that when I got that, I'm like, it feels like I've heard that before, and I kind of remember the story back in John 8. Do you guys remember the story of the woman caught in adultery? Yeah, you see, she had lived a lifestyle where she became famous for her lifestyle. And it turns out that people were available to catch her in the act of her lifestyle. Aren't those people always available? They caught her in the act of adultery, which means they can now kill her legally. They have a right to kill her. And as they bring her out to kill her, they encounter Jesus. Jesus, seeing the crowd and having the woman being presented before him, goes through this whole situation where they're trying to find guilt in this lady. And clearly, she's, she's in, the, in the wrong. Now, I know this is where being a seminary student, and sometimes we have access to some information that's kind of interesting, but one commentary that I read says, they said that Jesus was writing at the time. And I, in the commentary, the guy said, I it seems to me like Jesus was probably writing the names or writing something down on the ground that helped everyone realize whoever has the, not sinned in this group, go ahead, throw the first stone. Let's get this over with. To whatever account is going on, no one finds himself willing to throw the first stone. And through an amazing process of grace, 
mercy and restoration, which is our Lord, he says, neither do I find guilt in you. Now, here's where the verbiage change. Go and sin no more. The only two times in the New Testament that this verbiage is kind of used, stop sinning, meaning you're still in it. You, you, didn't, you didn't get the way, the truth, and life. You are still in it. Healed, yes, temporarily, but you are still in it. This woman, sin no more. I've heard people preach that and try to convince brothers and sisters that when you come to faith in Christ, you can live a sinless life. And I'm here to tell you, that's hooey. Straight up, full-blown, 100% hooey. Right? Paul said, why is it I keep doing the stuff that I know and I'm teaching on to not do when I know what I'm supposed to, to do? Right? Woe to me if I don't preach. I know what God has commissioned me to do. No pastor would ever stand up here and say, come to Jesus, boom, live that life. It's, it's, matter of fact, for a lot of people, it's like come to Jesus and then boom, your whole world implodes on you. And that's what frustrates a lot of people and turns them and they go running. It's because we didn't tell them the truth. You don't get to come to Jesus and it all goes away. It's not, woo, right? It's come to Jesus. And now 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there's no temptation come upon you for which God will not provide a way out. But he's going to use adversity. He's going to use homelessness. He's going to use drugs. He's going to use financial things. He's going to use all that, Romans 8 says, to his avail, to make you stronger, to burn off the dross, to make you more like him. This guy didn't get it. No. What could possibly, what could he mean? Stop sitting there or something. What could be worse than being an invalid for 40 years? Hell. For eternity. Church. Hell, separation from God for eternity is worse than a lifetime of pain in this world. If Pastor Eric has a couple of phrases that he loves, one of them is, sin does not get the last laugh. Right? COVID does not get the last word. Politics does not get the last word. Cancer does not get the last word. Temporary, temporarily being healed is not your goal. Eternal healing is the only thing that's worthwhile to you. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come in. In my Father's house, there's many rooms. If it wasn't so, I wouldn't tell you that. And if I go and prepare a place, guess what? I'm coming back. Come with me. What about hell, Pastor Jeff? I didn't make it for you. I made it for fallen angels who left their commission. But you have a choice. And he had a choice. And if you choose to keep sinning, if you see, when he told the woman to sin no more, she wasn't going to live a sinless life. He said, don't fall back into your sin. That sin no more literally means do not fall back into your sinful way. Your life of adultery is now over. I've healed you. I've reconciled you. Now move forward with the new life that I've given to you. When I taught student ministries for 25 years, I often used the phrase and repetitively used the phrase, like a dog returns to vomit, so do we kind of return to our sin. And isn't that just the way sin is? It's vile. It's sickening. It makes us sick. And our body says, get rid of it. Don't live this way. You have a new life in Christ. And we do everything we can to get it out of us. And yet, we fall back to the same thing of looking at it like, I'm going to go back to that. 
something worse is about to happen to this guy. The very warning that the Lord gave him is about to happen to this guy. And John's recording this because he wants us to know something. In the resurrected hope that is Christ, every one of these specific signs and miracles points to one thing. He is the Messiah. He is the way. And he is the truth. And Jesus responds to him, if you believe in me, then you won't be healed just for today. But I will heal you for eternity. Any of you who've been sick for a long time, see my brother Tony's out there. And there's some of you that are, that are sick, and I know that you're sick, and not everybody else knows you're sick. Any of you have been sick, I have kidney disease, we share a common bond in sickness. Understand something, God has privileged us with that sickness that a lot of healthy people will never, ever know. It's a privilege to be sick. It's a privilege when you have migraines on a rep repetitive basis. Because you know the one thing, I don't wake up in the morning and think... I'm going to have a good day physically. I don't think that every day. Something's whack in my body pretty much on, on the regular. What I'm grateful for is that it reminds me that that's part of what God has given me the privilege of. To keep me humble. To keep me non-alpha. To keep me humble with the people that are around me that are going through pain. So that I can cry with those who cry. Because you know what? The rain falls on who? Just the good people? It falls on everyone. Matthew 5 says rain falls on everyone. God's love, God's Shekinah is falling on all people. All people will have the opportunity to accept or refute he who stands at the door. The Bible promises that. You are not going to show up in front of Jesus one day, in front of the Bema Seat of Judgment, and say, if someone would have told me, then I would have made a decision. That's not going to happen. And I've heard Christians try to guilt other Christians saying, you got to do this. If you miss that opportunity, they might die. It's, it's not up to us. Eric says this one. You're not saving anybody. I'm not saving anybody. Trust me, I, if I could, I would love to. All I can do is plant the seeds. All I can do is share the hope that is in me. Right? All I can do is like the signpost is what? One of, the, one of the cool things about the remodel, you guys don't know, God blessed us with some funds. People said, hey, we'd like to keep the church relevant for another 100 years. Thank you to the people who gave us this church back in 1948. That is one of the most relevant pieces in this building. Is every Sunday you come in here, you have to remind yourself, why are we in here? What is the goal of being in here? Is the purpose of what we're doing so that other brothers and sisters can be encouraged? Yes, but then what? So that we go back out there and tell those who don't know what Jesus has done for them. If the rain falls on all, then God's love is falling on all, then our responsibility is to make sure that all people have the choice. Now, are all people going to make a choice to invite Jesus in? No. Guys, there's people that saw Jesus back in this time 2,000 years ago. There's, guys, people saw Jesus doing these miracles in front of them and still didn't believe. That's heartbreaking to me. Right? I mean, but that's just the way that it is. So I can't get caught up in who will believe and who won't believe. What I have to be caught up in is that I continually throw seeds regardless of the weather, regardless of the soil, regardless of the nitpickers, regardless of the naysayers, regardless of if I understand or if I don't understand, keep throwing seeds. So that when your car radio breaks in the brand new car that you just bought and you're at a place talking to a radio guy who understands radios and you don't, and, and he starts rubbing his throat and saying, yeah, I'm really grateful my chemo's over because I had thyroid cancer. And you're like, the kind of music that was playing in the car stereo place that I was at in Santa Ana 
was very interesting, and the kind of people that were getting stereos that particular day were quite interesting. And usually if I would have been in my police uniform, I would have felt like we were there on a call. But um, God said, he's, he's worried about his thyroid cancer. Pastor Jeff, what are you going to do? I said, you know what? Can you turn that radio down? Because he's like right in front of the radio. Can you turn that radio down? Can I pray for you? And right there, I mean, people, multitude of noise, it just stops. It just goes away. Boom. And you're in that moment, and you're in the world, but you're not of the world, and you're with this sick man who all of a sudden you ask him, do you want to get well? Do you want to know the healing power of my Lord and Savior? Then let me share with you just a simple prayer. I have no power. I have nothing of my own volition. I have nothing. But I believe that the one who is in me has everything. And I get to put my hand on this guy's, and I'm, the other employees, I'm looking at him or whatever, and I just close my eyes and pray. Now, sometimes I'm a two-minute prayer. Sometimes I'm a Southern Baptist prayer. <laughs> There's a difference between the two. <laughs> Southern Baptist prayers can go a little longer. And I was crying. He was crying. And I just said, you know what? I'm glad my radio broke. Right? Because when I first drove in there, what was I? Stupid radio car. Ugh. But if you want to be healed, right, if you want to know who Jesus is, the veil comes down quickly, and the opportunity's right there in front of you. Did you realize Jesus was standing in front of you saying, do you want to get healed? Because I can tell you something, me healing you right now might be the worst thing in the world I could do for you. Because there is something worse than being sick in this world. Guys, I'm not saying it. Those are the very words of Jesus. Who else knows? He was here in the beginning. His name is Logos. He was here in the beginning. He spoke the world in the beginning. He knows what it's going to be like in the end. If he says worse, I'm going with it. It's going to be way worse than anything you could imagine in this world. That should be great motivation for you. But unfortunately, the excuses, the sin of the sin is that it keeps you in sin, right? I can't. No one can carry me. No one can lift me. Ah, me. Ah, me, right? We've all heard that. Woe is me. Guys, it's never been about you, and it's never been about me. It's only been about him. And if we make it anything else other than that, it's going to be distracting. Is everyone going to like you? Are you going to have a bunch of fans? Probably not, right? There's, it says the families will be turned against one another for, this, for the name of Christ, but you can be encouraged in one thing, and I mean really be encouraged in one thing. Nothing says I love you more than I want you to be with me for eternity. If they don't understand that, that's on them. But when I tell someone, let me share with you Jesus Christ. Let me share with you who I believe Jesus Christ is because I want you to know something. I don't want you to die and live separated from him, regardless of how you can say it or not, because I believe hell is tangible, and I believe that is a place that you don't want to be. And if you want you can look it up I, I did a sermon on hell one time and there's like four or five tangible attributes given about hell and not one of them sound appealing to me weeping and wailing gnashing of teeth eternal darkness i mean just why why would we chance that why would we chance that with anyone i mean do you, do you dislike a human being so badly that you would chance that with them if it wasn't for god's grace and mercy guys there's none righteous not one of us in this building, there's none righteous, not one. Yet somehow he calls us anyways and says, woman in adultery, nor do I find any sin in you more. Don't return to your former life. That's all we can do. 
Jesus healed him, yes. Jesus offered him the hope that is the way, the truth, and life. But he failed to make Jesus his Lord and Savior. And that was a grievous mistake because the hope, the resurrected hope that we just learned about on Easter is now a non sequitur. It's no longer a factor for this individual. He might walk around telling everyone, I'm healed, and I once was, but he's still dead in his sin. He's a dead man walking. And that's probably the best thing I could tell you this morning, guys. There's a lot of men and women, children, people around us today that are struggling because they are dead in their sins. And they truly need more than they need your political understanding or your COVID understanding or like me spending three days on what the actual shot is and how it works from a medical standpoint because my daughter's a nurse. I mean, they, it's great that you know all that, but it doesn't help anybody with the fear that they're having today. Right? I just stick to Jesus. When in doubt, just stick to Jesus. When in doubt, just share your testimony. That little piece of paper that Pastor Eric said, what's your story? Learn your story. Share your story. You may not know a lot, but you know your story. The demoniac didn't have much of a testimony. I was a demoniac. I was multiple demons. I would break chains. I would sit in the tomb and scream all day long. Jesus shows up. Something happens. He wants to get in the boat and go with Jesus. And Jesus says, stay. What? Stay? I need training. I need teaching. I need the Bible lessons. I need scholarly information. No, what you have, your testimony is sufficient. Stay. And what happens when Jesus comes back? A boatload of people get saved because they saw the demoniac and they heard his testimony. What you guys need is what you have. It's sufficient. Trust God with it and he will heal you. Look, open your eyes today. Let go of your legends. Let go of your whatever, you know, false hopes you have. And just trust that Jesus is there and that he's either going to heal you to get you to the next situation of faith and strength or he's going to allow you to rest in that infirmity because he's going to use your infirmity to bless and strengthen other people. That is the sovereignty of our God. We do not have to understand it. We don't have to thoroughly be able to comprehend it. And much like the Trinity or many other components of our faith, it is. Right? Make peace with it. Trust God. And press on. I'm going to invite the worship team back up here and I'm going to pray for us because God is not through with us yet. Father God, I thank you for what is just another incredible passage in Scripture. A passage that so clearly articulates the fact that in this life we will have adversity. And so often is the case. We're going through that adversity thinking that we're by ourselves. We're thinking that we, we don't have anyone to help us. We're thinking that our excuses substantiate the life that we've chosen when we don't even realize the very answer to the situation that we're in is standing before us saying, do you want to be well? Do you want to be healed? If we would only recognize and see you for who you are, there's, there's so many of us out there that are struggling with just such a simple thing. I mean, it's not looking through the people and, and recognizing what Jesus looks like from afar outside the door. It's opening the door. You have to open the door. You have to invite him in. You have to get him past the threshold from outside to in. He has to become Lord and Savior. It's not enough to say, I know who he is, or I read about him, or I heard about him, or I sang a worship song to him. It's not enough. You have to invite him in. I pray today as this message goes to these people here and all the way out into that video electronic world where only you know where it goes and who it speaks to, that it would remind someone the greatest decision, the greatest choice you will make in your life is not political 
a house, a job, or a relationship, the greatest choice or decision you will make is will you make Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life? I pray today that we would choose wisely. I ask in your son's precious and holy name. Amen.
Great is our God, one of my favorite songs. The splendor of the King, clothed in majesty, let all the earth rejoice, all the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light, and darkness tries to hide and trembles at his voice trembles at his voice how great is our God sing with me how great is our God and all will see how great how great is our
amen and amen. Just a quick prayer request I'm going to do for our bridge shelter, which looks like it's opening up here very soon with its first clients. Interesting, we talk about that today, and they are on the threshold of opening. So let me close with one final prayer for this. And just thank you guys for being a part of the church. Thank you guys for being part of the kingdom of God. But just remind yourself, you guys have so much more work to do than 45 minutes or an hour and a half if I go on Sunday. Uh, on Sunday, your work's just starting, right? But this is just the, this is the coach's pep talk, man. Go out there and play. You got, a, you got a whole world around you that needs you. You got people at your job and your school and your neighborhood. They all need you guys. Just trust that what you have is sufficient and don't fail to see what is exactly in front of you. Father God, I just want to lift this day up once again. Thank you for everything about this day from just great worship to birthdays. Just everything about it is so good. But the reality is, Father, we've got some people that are going to be starting their time in the shelter and they're really nervous about it. According to Bill, there's about 15 people that are on the threshold of heading into this new shelter at this time, Father. And I just want to pray for all the people in this town, from Hands of Mercy to SOS to, to Fresh Beginnings, Father, to each and every ministry trellis that's out there trying to serve this in, in incredibly large community, not just in our town, but in the world around us, Father. Would you supernaturally use these resources? Would you supernaturally use your people to be your hands, to be your feet, to provide that encouragement that can only come from the resurrected hope that is your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for that opportunity that's presented each and every time we speak his name. May everything we do bring honor and glory to him. We do it all and say it all in the precious name of Christ. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful day. See you next Sunday.